So I just want to welcome everybody that's watching online. I'm looking at the camera, and I'm hoping that's the right camera. It might be that one, or it might be that one, or it might be that one. It's that one right there. And just say that uh, we can't see you. Like if you imagine Jesus talking to the, all the multitudes that were on the hills and stuff, you guys are kind of in the back row, but you have like a, a front row view. Oh, I meant one of the small ones. <laughs> uh, we have technical difficulties. Uh, so it's like you, you guys are on the way back row, and I don't know if there's more distractions at home or if like you can see really clearly and see the uh, uh, like see all the close-ups. I don't know how close they get on my face. Hopefully not too close. Um, you can see all the place I missed in shaving or whatever. But we just want to welcome you. Uh, we're glad that you're a part of this service. For everybody that's here in the church, I am glad you're here. It is easier to preach when you have someone to talk to, and you can see them kind of face-to-face -face and stuff. And I believe I have a good message for this morning. Uh, if you are new to City Church, uh, you can text in. Uh, there's a text number that will come up, and you can just say uh, whatever it says. Guest. That's what it is. Uh, text guest to uh, the number. And uh, it'll give you some information to fill out and, and give you some information on the church. Um, and then if, uh, if you want to tithe, like nowadays, you can just pull out your phone and boom, drop a quarter of a million dollars to the church. Just really easy. Well, some of us might be able to. And I'm not us. Just, just being clear about that. So, uh, but... Uh, you might be able to, like, it's so easy to give now. You can give from sitting on your living room watching whatever show. You can be driving to work, not supposed to text on your phone, and you can actually give to the church. Um, we want to pray for that right now. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless our tithes and offerings. God, I pray that for the people that are watching at home, maybe there's someone there that has never... Um, heard the gospel before. They've never even participated in a church service. God, I pray for that person, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that they would hear uh, you speak to them personally. Lord, just like you've spoken to us personally. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me grab my pulpit here. I even have my glasses just in case. Perfect. So, 2020, I think everybody is about ready to get past 2020. I know I am. Uh, now, there's something, thank you, Jacob, something marks a year, like when the, when the year ends, you just feel like something new is going to happen. And we don't always know what that is. Uh, we don't always know what God is going to do, but just kind of, you get past the Christmas season, um, you everything ends, you get to New Year's, uh, let old acquaintance be, and, and it's like, you're just like, all right, let's kick that year out the door, it's history, and I think when we get to that day, everybody's going to be just like really relieved, but one thing I was wondering is like, what is it that, like God just doesn't say, ah, we're just going to write off 2020, like God has a purpose in 2020, and right now we're all like, what is that purpose, because I don't see it, I mean, there is so much going on in 2020. You have COVID. 
you have riots, you have racial tension, you have the election, which is a whole nother world in and of itself. Uh, suddenly we have to wear masks. Uh, suddenly we have to stay in our homes. Uh, like everybody is frustrated. And this isn't just a New Mexico thing or a United States thing. This is a global thing that we're having to deal with. And in preparation for this message, and it usually takes me about a month to prepare for a message, just working thoughts through and, and doing research and study and stuff like that. In preparation for this message, I came across a, uh, uh, a letter from Pastor M in Iran. And if we think we have it bad here, this is what he says. Iran started the year off with a bang. On January 3rd, President Trump ordered the assassination of General Soleimani. A week later, Iran shot a commercial plane down, and millions of young Iranians filled our streets in protest. Then Iran shot 11 missiles into Iraq, pushing us even closer to the brink of war. Every man in the country waited for the word. Uh, the whole nation spent 40 days in mourning, and right as we came out of that period, COVID-19 slammed, and I mean slammed into us. As if that wasn't enough, we had an infestation of locusts in the south, and it wasn't small. Think biblical proportions. A couple of months after that, Tehran experienced a strong earthquake. And then we had over 13 mysterious bombings, including Natanz, Parshin, Bushir, and this only catches us up to July. Can I just say that Americans are a bunch of whiners? <laughs> you know? And, and I put myself right, right, in, the, right in there. I, I can whine with the best of them. Oh, I got to wear a mask. Oh, it's elections. Do I have to see one more political commercial? Nah, 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 nah. I mean, I imagine on like Iranian TV shows, they, they portray Americans as like, oh, how are you? We're so weird. I mean, it's terrible. We are just a bunch of whiners. And God doesn't want that. God, God wants something a little more tough inside of us. Like, he doesn't want some limp, wimpy nerd guy, which I was when I was younger, but he, he wants to, like, build some strength into us, build some muscles into our spiritual lives, into our personal lives. So what God has been doing is he's been shaking us. I mean, he talked about an earthquake. I, I've been in a small earthquake um, there, there was the big San Francisco earthquake uh, in 1980s. I was watching the World Series, and all of a sudden, they start announcing it, and the Bay Bridge collapses and everything. That was a big earthquake. My uncle said that he was standing by his van when that earthquake hit, and he watched, and there were waves in the concrete and the asphalt coming at him that were about three or four feet tall. He said it was like the ocean was coming at him. And he held on to the, the handle of his van, and just kind of rode these waves, basically shock waves is what they were, until it was over. Said he'd never seen anything like it. And, and I think that's what God's doing to us right now. Is God's shaking us up, trying to get something. And I guess the question we have to ask is, what is God trying to get? Ultimately, if you want to know what the whole Bible is about, what everything, if you read scripture, there's one common theme in the entire Bible. God is trying to make his name glorious. He's trying to promote himself because he's God. He's in charge. He's the one ruling. He's the, he's the one with authority. He's 
all knowledgeable, all, all wise. Like he, he has all of this and we don't and other gods don't. And we can get up and we can preach, or we, but we're nothing compared to God. And so God's like, hey, I've got it. You need to come to me. And so everything that happens on the earth is to make his name glorious. It's interesting when, when we look at, like, what is God trying to tell us? If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, there's an interesting thought in there. It goes through, and it's like the superheroes of faith. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And it goes through and it talks about Abraham and, and how he had faith. And Sarah, how she had faith. And Moses and Gideon and Rahab and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. It says, man, they all had amazing faith and God did great things with them. And when I read that chapter, I'm like, God, I, like, if you're going to write another chapter to that, I want to be on that list. I want, to, I want to participate in what you're doing, God. But it's interesting because you get past that. Well, you, you get to the very end and it says, and none of them received what was promised. So they did all these great things, but they didn't even get what God had intended for them. Because God has a long-term plan. And 2020 is just one little piece of this long-term plan. Here's the killer thing. Right after chapter 11, there's chapter 12. And chapter 12 says, this is what you have to go through if you want to be in chapter 11. And this is what it is. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you got Abraham and Moses and, yeah, Jeff, yeah, Jeff, go. Stephen, Lynn, Michael, go, yeah. You got all these great witnesses surrounding you in this huge stadium, all these people that have gone before us. And it says, run the race with eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. So run this race. And then he says, and this is the hard part, endure hardships as discipline because God disciplines those he loves because it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. I'll tell you one thing. There are a lot of people right now that do not have peace. And so if A plus B equals C, then, then if you want peace, then you have to look at God. And you have to embrace his discipline. And all this shaking that's going on, we have to embrace that. And we have to say, do I dare say it? God, more. Ooh, I don't know if I can say that. God, can you make 2020 even worse? I can't say that. <laughs> I really can't. But, but God is wanting us to learn how to embrace pain. He's wanting us to learn how to embrace. So there's three, three pictures in the Bible that, of shaking or, or of, um, of discipline, God's discipline. Uh, the first is shaking, like, like an earthquake, uh, but it also is like threshing wheat. Um, the second one is like going into an oven and being fired. Or if you imagine a blacksmith, the blacksmith has to heat up that bar extremely hot before it's moldable. And so God's like turning up the heat on us because he wants to start molding us into what he wants us to be. And if we just sit there, we're just a lump of steel, or a lump of iron, or I mean, we're just a lump. 
And we don't want to be a lump. We want to be used for the purposes of God to make his name glorious. Then it says, God is going to shake the earth and the heavens and the heavens. I find that interesting. Are there flaws in the heavens? I don't know. That's, that's too deep for me. And anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then let's see what makes it through. So God's going to shake everything. So just imagine, and I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't. What if 2020 is just the beginning? What if God's going to return January 3rd? I'm not saying God's going to return January 3rd. So don't go put that in Facebook and, and you at home, don't be tweeting it out. I'm not saying that. But what if? Yeah, I can see Rick's like, hmm, how can I get this word around? But what if? And what if we're whining all the way to Jesus' return? And he comes back, he's like, man, you're a whiny bride. Why do I want? You're bridezilla. Why do I want this? God, is there not another one for me? Because this one's like. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. This is a parable of Jesus. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck, and that house could not shake it, or, but, uh, but could not shake it, uh, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words, notice, hears my words, and does not put them into practice, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. That's Luke chapter 6. So here's the thing. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon says, It is no mean thing to be chosen of God. God's choicest make choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. So you don't go out. God doesn't go out and say, Oh, he's a good guy. Oh, he's a good guy. Oh, he's a, a good guy. And she's a good woman. And she's a good woman. And boom, I'm just going to use you. There, there's no born superheroes. Like even Jesus wasn't born a superhero. Now everybody's starting to think, oh, did he just say that Jesus was flawed? Let's come back to that. God has to put you through trials. He has to work you. He has to put you through discipline. I have great daughters you don't see the discipline that happens at home. But you see the results of the discipline that happens at home. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So, what is God saying right now? What God is trying to do is he's trying to perfect us. So here, here's, here's two verses I want you to think about. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this was Paul, and Paul had some infirmity, infirmity, excuse me, or he had some issue that he was dealing with, and there's a lot of theories on what that was. But Paul had something that was just bugging him, that was hindering him. And, and God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So that's such a strange concept. God, break me, make me less, so that you can be more. But that's really what God does. 
God went and chose Gideon. Gideon's dad was like, he was an idol worshiper. He was an idol maker. He led, he led his town in idolatry. And Gideon, they're having to hide from the Midianites because uh, the Midianites kept coming in and steal all, all their crops and stuff. And so Gideon's down in the wine press and he's threshing, uh, uh, threshing the wheat in the wine press. So basically this hole in the ground, hiding from the Midianites so that they won't see that they have, have grain. And God shows up to him right there and he says, I'm going to use you. And Gideon's like, who am I? God says, that's exactly right. Who are you? But who am I? That's what God says. It doesn't matter what you are. It matters who I am. And so how many of us are just a bunch of nothings that want to be used by an amazing God? I'm one of those. But he said to me, my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay. Remember how I was talking about Jesus? Ah, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, he's talking about Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. <gasps> Jesus wasn't perfect until he went through the suffering. Now, little note, the word perfect doesn't mean like ungodly or anything. It means complete. It means made or, or what we're supposed to be made to do. So, for instance, Jesus, when he was born, was just a clump of iron. But God molded him through what he had to go through and, and got him to the point, including the cross, so that after he went through, by the time he was finished on the cross, God had made him completely, exactly what God wanted him to be. And that was the sacrifice for our sins. That was the propitiation to God. That was the access that we have to get to God. Jesus had to go through suffering to become what he was supposed to. So why do we push away suffering thinking we can still get there? Here's the Iran, that Iranian pastor. Here's what he says. But I tell you this, I'll take the, Islamic, or the Iranian Islamic regime over democratic freedom any day. And I mean that. Why? And listen to this next line. Because the Holy Spirit is breathing on persecution. We are enduring as disciples of Jesus in Iran. And the gospel is sweeping through our country with more might and power than COVID-19. Iranians are going to crowd out, this, uh, out the sea of glass. We're going to need a lot of seats at the table at the wedding feast. We have plenty of injustice in Iran. And God sees it. And he cares. And he's dealing with it. And he will deal with it. But we aren't discipling Iranians to solve temporal problems in this temporal age. We're discipling for eternity. Now, if that doesn't get you charged up, I don't know what does. But boy, it's a hard decision to embrace the shaking and the fire. There's an interesting thing that if you look on some different uh, products, here's paint. It says, uh, shake well before using. Here's a uh, wasp and hornet killer. Shake well before using. This stuff, by the way, kills more than wasps and hornets. <laughs> I'm working on our neighbor's cat right now. but <laughs> WD-40, shake well before using. 
Compressed air. Shake well before using. Cockroach killer. This stuff is great. Um, off, bug spray. Shake well before using. Cough syrup, Delsum, one that everybody should use. Shake well before using. This is the interesting one, is uh, the Febreze. It says, works best, do not shake. <laughs> so this doesn't fit in my sermon, so it's gone. <laughs> you know what? All of these have a purpose. But you got to shake them up. And so God says, oh, Stephen, I've got a purpose for him. Rob, I got a purpose for you. Monica, I got a purpose for you. Robbie, this is color. I got a purpose for you. Like, think of all the different colors of paint and the, the designs that God wants to, but he's got to shake up all those, all those paint cans and, and he sprays and he adds color and he adds life, but he can't do it if these don't work. So when you pick up a bottle of these things, the first thing I think of is, oh, I wonder if this thing's dead. So that's point number one is when God picks you up, are you dead? Or are you asleep? Like, are you just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, do we have any sort of life in us? Think about the disciples. They were with Jesus, so it's Jesus' last hours. They've just had the, the supper in the upper room, you know, the amazing painting, and they're all like John's leaning on him and, and very uh, um, Renaissance-looking things, and they look nothing like Jewish people, but they look like white European people. And, and, and you look at that, and you're like, that doesn't even look fun. I mean... What, what kind of an upper room or what kind of a, a Passover dinner is that? And then they leave there and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, words in the Bible mean something. Gethsemane literally means wine press. Oh, excuse me. Olive press. Means olive press. No, I had it right before. It was wine press. <laughs> and Jesus has the disciples and he says, wait here. I'm going to go pray. But before he says that, he says something very important. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Like, I am so, I am really struggling. That's what he says to the disciples. These are men that have been with him for three and a half years, daily, watching perform miracles and stuff. And he's like, I am struggling. I'm going through depression. I'm like, I just want to die. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They didn't even hear him. Like, are our friends saying, I am just struggling with depression, and we don't even hear them? Are we that dead that we, have, we just don't get it? Or are we this dead? So he goes and he prays, and he says, God, take this cup for me. Take away that I have to do, I have to go on the cross, and I have to die for, because that's a big cost. And then he comes back, 
And he finds him asleep. And he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's like, wake up, wake up. And then he goes back and he prays the same exact thing again. God, take this cup for me. And when he comes back, they're still asleep. They still didn't get it. And it says, Jesus didn't even know what to say. What do you say? I'm going to go pray again because I, I don't even know what to say. So he goes and prays a third time. And then he comes back to the disciples. They're still asleep. And he says, rise up. Enough. They're here. It's too late. Think about that. Are you still sleeping and resting? So I'm going to ask you that question. In the middle of God's shaking, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough is what Jesus says. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In the middle of Jesus' crisis hour, they were asleep. And that word enough means the time has come. You have run out of time. The buzzer just went off. You could have been part of what God was doing, but you just sat there. So let me ask the question, what if like January 3rd happened to be the day and the buzzer goes off and we're not ready? Here's what the Message Bible says for Mark 14, 38. Stay alert, be in prayer so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. Part of you is eager, ready for anything in God. And then I love this part. But another part is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. The disciples didn't know what God was doing. Do we know what God is doing? So I ask the question again, what is God saying and what is God doing right now? The second thing is you pick up a bottle like WD-40 and there's always residue on the outside. You're kind of looking to see. Um, does this have a leak in it? Like, it's, it's not quite working. Does this have a leak in it? Or is the energy that's supposed to go through this nozzle supposed to be used for this purpose? Is it going somewhere else? But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So whatever we're doing right now, if it's January 3rd, and the end of days comes, and fire burns up, all... I don't know if it's literal fire, figurative fire. Fire burns up all that we've done. And whatever is left is basically how we're measured. How are you going to be measured? How am I going to be measured? Are people going to look at it and say, glory to God. God, your name is exalted above all. Or are they going to say, 
man, he shouldn't have spent so much time going to work. Boy, that just went up just like that. Boy, he should have, shouldn't have spent so much time on his phone. <laughs> For those of you on the camera, a phone just rang in here. Man, he, he should have spent a little more time preaching the gospel. Man, he should have spent a little more time with Jesus, worshiping and praying. This is too hard of a message, Jeff. I, I apologize. No, I don't. I apologize. God is shaking us, and what's happening is we're settling. So let me ask you, what is it that you're settling for? Parents used to ask me this question, and I hated it. Oh, I hated it. But I am so thankful now. They used to say, are what you're doing, is what you're doing God's best? And a lot of times it had to do with, like, who I was dating or who I was interested in or whatever. Like, is she God's best for you? They never asked that about Sarah now that I think about it. They, it's, like, it's like they always kind of knew, even maybe before I did. But... Like, I'd be thinking about a job or thinking about taking this vacation. And is that what God's best for you is right now? Is going to school, is going to that school, is joining that fraternity, is that what God's best for you? And so I guess I would ask you the same What are you settling for? What areas of your life are you not accepting God's best? And I'm not saying you do what God's best and he's going to drop a million dollars in your lap. No, God's best is he's going to discipline you. He's going to break you. He's going to pound on you with that hammer. And you're going to be like, God, what are you doing? It can't get any worse than this. And God says, oh, wait till next time. That's the way God is. And it, and it seems like he's mean and angry. But does the tool that the blacksmith is working on, does it wants to be made into what? God purposed it for, what the blacksmith purposed it for. So do you want to be made into what the blacksmith purposed you for? Or do you want to settle for something else? And like when I look at this, have you ever seen milk? Like you get the milk and then you get the fat and it's all separated and stuff. Who wants to drink that? Maybe part of the reason the world doesn't want us is because we look like that. Because the church is settling for stuff that makes us look like this. Just so that you guys know, because I can tell everybody's thinking about it. It's uh, syrup and milk and uh, dish soap and oil and water. Or water and oil. I don't know how the water got all brown, but it's kind of gross. Um. But we don't, we don't want to be like that. So what are we settling for? So the third thing that God does, and let me ask you this again. What is God doing and what is God saying? The third thing is, are the ingredients working together? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
Now, I, kn I know one thing is that if the inside of one of these cans, inside of my paint can, looks like this, nothing's going to spray. But right now, when I look at our church, especially in this political season, this is what I see. And it's disgusting. And I think it disgusts God, and I think we need to look at it as disgusting. Uh, we got liberals and conservatives and Republicans and libertarians and whatever. And God says, that's disgusting. We have pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib and all-millennial. And, and God says, you know, that's disgusting. And we have black and white and red and brown. And God says, that's disgusting. And if you're part of that, stop. Because it's disgusting. Because you know what God's going to do? He's going to shake it up. He wants to get rid of that garbage. He wants us to be so, look at that. That's a weird color, but, <laughs> but it's mixed up. It's ready for its purpose. We are not Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or liberals. We're, <laughs> we're supposed to be the body of Christ. That's what we are. I think in this political season, we're forgetting we're not of this world. That's what the Bible says. You are, not, you are aliens to this world. And in our country right now, an alien doesn't necessarily have the right to vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics. But boy, we are putting a lot of we're hurting a lot of people just to say something. And God doesn't want us to do that. I came across, here's a verse for this political season. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Everybody speak in their mind. What a bunch of fools we are. It's time to be silent. It's time to honor God. And if we're going to say something, say something that brings glory to his name instead of glory to our president's name or glory to senator's name or glory to some party that are going to turn on you at the small. I mean, it's disgusting. I was up in Colorado this summer, and I was having a really hard time um, just with COVID and everything. And my wife has, had been sick for a while, and, and uh, I needed to get away. And so the girls and I, we went up to Colorado, and, and I was talking with a mentor, just kind of venting and stuff and just needing some direction. And uh, we were in the mountains, and I was just saying, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Because right now, like, we don't have kids' church. Like, I don't like the way church is right now. My job was a challenge. Um, my wife was sick, uh, so there weren't a lot of things that she was able to do. And just, it just felt like my whole world was caving in. And I said, I, God, I don't even feel used by you. I can't even be with the people at work or the people that I play sports with or whatever because I'm not around them. I'm, not, I'm seeing them through a computer. And God says, use what I've given you. What, what do you still have? 
And so there's people in your life and stuff that you still have. And I started thinking, I thought, well, I got my family. And I thought, and I got my family. Yeah, I can't go to work. Got my family. Ah, I got our Wednesday night group. Now, our Wednesday night group, I love our Wednesday night group. There you go. Jaquan and his wife come. And Jose and Robbie come. And Elsa and Tyler, I don't know if you know Tyler. Elsa comes. So we have blacks and we have whites and we have Hispanics and Puerto Ricans. We have young because the kids come. And Carol is our, our wise mother-in-law. She comes. Like, it is a melting pot, let's just say. And I felt very strongly that I was supposed to invest in them. And like, God spoke to me. So I'm in the middle of shaking, trials, like, God, this is hard. And I don't want to be a whiner. God, what are you trying to do? And he says, I want you to invest in that group. Now, we don't do a Bible study. We just get together, and we just hang out and encourage one another and tell stupid stories, and, and I sit there and envy the Jaquan's hair because I wish I had as much those dreads that he has. I love that. Um, I wish I could do that, but those days are long past. We just, like, that's, that's where God told me to put my energy. A couple weeks ago, we were meeting, and we pray before we eat, and we got in a group, and we held hands, and I had, and uh, uh, Jason and Ann, they also come to the group, so um, Filipinos, short little Filipino girl, she'll hate that I just said that, that's for you, Ann. Uh, Ann was talking about she had gone to a family reunion, and she says it was like seeing a bunch of Ann faces all over. And she showed us some pictures, and it was. It was like seeing a bunch of Ann faces. And I was talking about I had the same experience when we went to Oklahoma. And I saw all of the relatives on my mom's side, and all the men are lined up on, along a wall, and they're all, like, country guys. And they looked like me, except they were in cowboy hats and cowboy boots. And I walked in and just stared at them for a while. And and uh, they had a little bit of a drawl and everything. And so we were talking about that, and we get ready to pray. And the Lord, this, this thought, when you ask, what is God saying? This thought popped into my head. Pray for Robbie, because Robbie and her dad have been estranged for a period of time. And we don't need to go into all the reasons for that. But I can't imagine, like, how hard that would have to be. So in the midst of all this stuff, add that to the top of it. And so we're praying. And I said, God, I just pray that you would restore family relationships. And I pray for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it was just super short. That was on a, on a Wednesday. And Robbie sent me this text on Sunday. And I apologize ahead of time if I cry, but this is awesome. I just want to thank you both for your ministry. Wednesday at dinner, Jeff prayed for restoration between families. I haven't spoken to my father in almost two years. And today, out of nowhere, he messaged me and said that he was so sorry for everything that he did to hurt me. 
and he hopes we can talk and build a relationship again. I've never seen the Holy Spirit move that way, so thank you for praying. And thank you for inviting God into your home and us into your life. It's really doing things. And I say, man, God, do it again. There's so much that God wants to do through you. But maybe we're putting our energies into other places and maybe we're, maybe we're fighting amongst ourselves and God wants to shake us up. Let's all stand up. When we start embracing God's shaking and instead of complaining, we say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Whenever things get hard, like... This can, if it had a brain, every time I pick it up and start shaking it, it should be like, ooh, I'm going to be used. Every time this can got picked up, I start shaking it, ooh, I'm going to be used. But when we get shaken, it's like, ooh, what's going on? (laughs) And we should be like, ooh. I'm going to be used. And so right now, I want you to say, God, shake me up because I want to be used. Paul and Silas got to the point in their relationship with God where they prayed and they worshiped and they prayed and they worshiped and they got used to shaking. They got used to God putting them through trials and tribulations and all the different things. Like there's a whole chapter on all the stuff that Paul went through, shipwrecks and being arrested and whipped and beaten and stuff. And, oh, I wouldn't have made it past the first one. I would have been, and they're in jail. Like that, that'd be a shaking. If I were in jail, I'd, oh, boy. And they start praying and worshiping. And God brought a shaking. And they didn't run. They just sat there in the jail. And the doors flew open. And the Spirit of God came in that place. And the jailer was like, oh my gosh, they've escaped. And he grabs his sword and he's going to run himself through. And Paul and Silas said, don't. We're still here. That's just God. We haven't gone anywhere. And the jailer was so thankful. He healed their wounds, washed them, brought them food, and then got baptized. Our world right now wants us in the middle of the shaking to be praying and worshiping and say, we're right here. Are we here embracing the shaking or are we like, are we running away? End with this thought and then I'll pray. When they describe John the Baptist, Jesus, John the Baptist basically says, here's the one that I've been preaching about this whole time. And Jesus gets up to the multitude and he says, what you have just seen is a reed 
moved by the wind. Like he was stationary, but every time God moved, he would sway. And there was a lot of moving, and John was eventually beheaded. God wants us to be moved by the Spirit in the midst of this shaking, no matter what's crumbling around us, that we're a bride that he's excited to return to. Are we going to stay and embrace the shaking? Father God, right now, I pray that you would discipline us. You would put in our heart a resolution to follow you no matter what. I pray that you would put in us a dedication of prayer and worship. God, that you wouldn't let us settle. You wouldn't let us have the infighting. You wouldn't let us have all that different stuff. God, that we would, wouldn't be asleep. We would know what's going on around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You all have a great week.